Welcome back to Couples Kissing in the Hallways and Other Mild Irritations. I'm your host, Ducklow, for this week. Now, this week, Mr. Hare has asked me to talk about Gears, and I will do so in thorough detail. But first, I want to give a shout out to Microsoft Word for not activating on my computer and leaving me with a completely locked document that I can't edit or even copy and paste onto a Google document. So thank you, Microsoft Word, for making me want to spend more money. But for real, though, real thanks to Google Docs for being free software that basically does what Microsoft Word does, but with a few more hiccups and stuff. But being a free software, I guess that's to be expected that they don't put as much effort into it. Anyway, anyway, back to the topic at hand, Gears. The project we've had for the past two weeks is a gear project, and Gage and I are going to make a lock. Now, we realize that uh, a bit into the project that anything other than your standard, uh, uh, your standard wheel gear, the circular one with teeth on it, is going to be quite difficult to make due to the nature of the software we're using. And we also found out that the 3D printers may not even be able to use Tinkercad, so that's a... Uh, for four weeks worth of work that's gone down the drain but that's that's cool that's cool so this lock is made of different sized gears of course and when you have two gears in a relationship they're used to transfer torque to each gear so you can use it to say generate more torque and less speed or sacrifice the torque for more speed now to give some context into in a two gear relationship the big one is called the wheel and the small one is called the pinion if you rotate the pinion then the wheel spins slowly because it has a greater radius but the force with which it spins is as equal to how fast you can spin the pinion. So basically, if you spin that pinion there like super fast, then the, the axle or whatever mechanism you have attached to the wheel will be super strong and vice versa. If you turn a wheel super fast because it has a larger radius than the pinion, then the pinion will turn even faster. I actually uh, experimented with this two years ago in Miss Fry's Principles of Technology and Engineering class, well, the first one anyway, where uh, a good friend and my, good friend of mine and I made some Beyblade ripsticks, you know, the things where like, you hold it, there's a little circular thing, you put uh, a toothed, uh, a cord with teeth cut into it, into the side, you say, let it rip, you pull it, and then this little mechanism underneath the circular part of the ripstick spins and it releases the Beyblade. But anyway, anyway, my friend and I experimented with this to see how fast we could get the ripsticks. And uh, boy, they were quite fast, I will say. Although we didn't have the luxury of a cord, a ripcord, I guess. We had to manually use a, a lever, a lever, a switch, a winch, um, something that spins that you hold a certain amount of distance 
around the center of the thing that actually spins. I don't, I forget what that's actually called. But anyway, anyway, manual ripsticks. I guess actual ripsticks are manual too. But these ones are more manual. Back to the topic at hand. This reinforces the idea that gears are devices, simple machines really, to transfer torque in from one form to another. He is also, Mr. Hare, I mean, has asked me to discuss when gears were first designed. And the first gears were actually designed by Mother Nature herself because uh, I looked this up on Google and some article told me that this weird little grasshopper cricket thing, ugh, this grasshopper cricket thing had gears connecting its, well, rudimentary gears connecting its front and its hind legs so that it could jump with all four legs in a synchronized manner. Well, actually, it's a bug, so it probably has more than four legs. But anyway, it connected all of its legs so it'll jump in a synchronized manner. Otherwise, if they weren't connected, it'll just fly off in some random direction and probably get eaten by a bird, which is unfortunate for grasshoppers. Not for me, though, because I hate them all. But if we're going to talk about natural gears then uh we need to talk about artificial gears too now the first human gear man was probably some ancient Greek guy or ancient roman guy those guys were pretty good and according to a website i found on google called idea connection the first oh crap this is the natural thing again oops anyway it also says the first human probably existed around 100 or 150 bc probably in greece now, in current times, gears are used in hydroelectric dams as turbines and generators. They're used in robotics, as I experienced firsthand when I did VEX. They're used in cars, especially like your timing and the inside of your engine. And I'm not saying that because um, I'm assuming it's because I played Car Mechanic Simulator 2018, and yes, there were gears inside the engine. Speaking of which, that game also made me realize that fixing a car is not as difficult as I thought it would be. Anyway, gears are also used in bikes, as you can see when you look at a bike. The gears are next to the pedal, and when you change gears, it's actually doing the whole torque thing that I mentioned. It's changing which gears are attached to which. It's changing if the um, standard gears attached to the wheels are attached to big, medium, or small gears attached to the pedals, and thus that increases either your torque or your speed. Also, uh, I read this fact somewhere online, but it said that bikes, in terms of the energy you put in and the energy wasted, are actually a whole lot more efficient than cars. But I guess that's to be expected because gasoline has never really been an efficient burn and neither have any fossil fuels or renewable fuels actually back to the subject of gears gears are also used in combination locks and mills like grain mills in the ye olden days when uh, a big big windmill would require wind to turn the little turbine and it would be attached to a bunch of gears and they'd grind grain that's that sounds weird but in terms of purpose, gears are used in almost the exact same manner as they were when they were invented. Oh, I forgot to mention trains. The trains are very important and very cool. Trains have gears.
Now, time to more interesting subjects than just the nature of gears and why they are one of the most important things we have invented. We're going to talk about video games. Now, my teacher, Mr. Hare, proposes a question to us, which is, if you could design any game, what game would you redesign? And my choice is a little-known PlayStation 3 free FPS game named Dust514. Now, this game was a typical sci-fi shooter of the time, but it had a pretty compelling uh, gimmick to it, which was that it was connected to the massively multiplayer online role-playing game Space Opera uh, Pirate Simulator time sync known as eve online now if you've ever played an rpg or an mmorpg or if you've ever been interested in the history of mmorpgs eve online is quite the interesting subject given as it has the record for the largest amount of real world capita lost in an online game thanks to the fountain war which contained the game's most famous battle probably sinking hold on hold on let me check all right so back again the battle that i mentioned previously lost around uh, an estimated 300,000 to 330,000 usd according to wikipedia anyway in uh, online games this is quite the loss this is like a small country's an entire small country's gdp not even not even joking Anyway, back to Dust514, the game had a gimmick where you could call in an orbital bombardment in battle, and you could wait for a player on the MMORPG to swoop in and provide some orbital bombardment onto your planet and give you a bit of an edge in battle. But I was more attracted to the just the sci-fi aesthetic and the ships and all that good stuff. I was pretty obsessed with that game for a little while. Made some Lego ships that didn't look all that great. One of them looked really good, and I'm still proud of it to this day. But the others didn't look all that great. Anyways, back to Dust514. This game eventually shut down, maybe due to lack of interest, uh, lack of revenue. Maybe the devs just wanted to focus on EVE some more. But there were a few things I was quite grieved about with the game. So it was a free-to-play game, and like any good free-to-play game nowadays, it had a premium currency. But where some games nowadays have like premium currency that you can earn from doing missions and such, for Dust, you had to exclusively buy that premium currency. Now, to provide some context, the way Dust works is you're set with default loadouts. Default guns, nothing special, default suits... It's not all that great, and you'll probably die really fast. But with each battle, you earn in-game currency. And another gimmick that Dust had was when you died, you lost your gear. So if you died, your suit, your gun, and all of its attachments would be lost into the world. And you'd just be put into another clone body. But all that stuff that was worth actual money was gone. But the game had a system called blueprints, which meant you could create these uh, these guns and suits over and over again. So you wouldn't have to spend 
around 100,000 ISK every time you wanted to buy a gun or a suit. The blueprints would just let you make them for a reduced cost. Now the problem with these blueprints is they were only purchasable with the premium currency, which can only be bought with real-world money. So either you spent money and you were satisfied with the game, or you didn't spend any money and the game became a hellish grind fest. Now my solution to this problem would be to have missions that award Aurum, the premium currency, in small amounts. Like, not enough to get you there in maybe like a day's time, but over maybe a few weeks or a month or so, you could earn enough premium currency. And that might give players a bit more of an incentive to, one, buy the premium currency, because once you're like halfway there, you're going to say, hmm, I might as well just buy the rest of it. But it also gives players an incentive to keep playing the game and be introduced to other ways in which marketing will influence them to buy more stuff. Another way in which Dust wasn't the greatest was its graphics. Now, it was a PS3 game, so and it was free to play, so it wasn't exactly like Last of Us or um, Shadow of the Colossus visual quality, but still, CCP, the developers of both EVE and Dust, are a pretty big company, and considering how loyal the EVE online community is, you'd think they have some spare cash to make Dust look better than a PS2 game, but they didn't, so it was kind of brown, faded. Um, gun vehicle designs were very cool, but the actual maps themselves and the color palette wasn't exactly very appealing. If you take New York City and put like brown filter on everything, or like gray brown filter on everything, that would basically be the maps. So my redesign, of course, would be to put a little bit more budget into the graphics. But, but there is one facet of the game I don't take issue with, with, which is the connection between Dust 514 and Eve Online. If anything, they should make this connection a little bit stronger. An orbital, a single orbital bombardment, isn't exactly like the greatest connection. Like the battles they had on these planets should be able to influence how the battles of Eve played out. For example, the large corporations um, who fought in cyberspace could also have influence on ground troops and not just be assigned default factions like pirates or Kaldari, I guess. Anyway, it's too late for me to make any input on this now, seeing as the game has been dead for quite a long while. So we're going to have to move on to our next segment, the one you tune in every week to watch or listen to, I guess. For this week's Kapuru Kisu segment, we have school ceremonies. Everyone has to go to them. No one likes them. Not even the teachers like them. At least I don't think so. Maybe the admin like them, but I highly doubt so, seeing as how they are relatable human beings. As Alright, side note. As much as we like to demonize teachers and admin, they're probably just regular human beings too. They've been through the same stuff, although maybe there's a pretty good chance that they've forgotten what it was like to be a teenager. But returning to the topic of ceremonies, everyone has to go to them. No one likes them, but it makes us look good, so we keep doing them. Now, this is a pretty relevant subject, seeing as how it is 9.34pm. 
on the Wednesday before the expectations of excellence ceremony, which I have to wake up extra early for to get ready. Now, I don't don't mean to brag or anything, but I've been in the expectations of excellence ceremony every year since sixth grade. Ha, 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 ha. That's really cool. So I know what it's going to be like every single time I go. But what grinds my gears is the amount of unnecessary stuff that happens. Like the, the show and tell. Like we have to give recognition to each and every single one of these special guests that show up. Because they were probably going to be paid a bonus to show up or something. But they probably don't care. Maybe they do care. Maybe they do care. And the, I don't know, the plumbing manager of Manassas Park shows up to show his appreciation for the students that clog his urinals with bread. The amount of show in each of these ceremonies is just extravagant. We have we have speakers and speeches that most likely aren't sincere. I mean, if you hear a guy say like, um, all of you will grow up to do great things. That's a pretty that's pretty much a guarantee that he doesn't believe what he's saying. Because no one who actually believes in what they're saying says, um, what's it? You're all going to grow up to do great things. Unless they're incredibly naive, which some admin might be. But they're adults, so they can't be naive. Anyway, we're going to hear the same speech we've heard for the past six years, yada yada. You're all the best class ever, yada 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 yada. Love you, um, yada 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 yada. School has been the best part of my life, yada 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 yada. And all honestly, if high school is the best part of your life, um, uh, boy, your life's pretty sad. But these ceremonies are just a way to make us look good, of course, by flexing how much um, our students do work or how many 600s we have or how many AP scholars we have. Hmm. I, guess, I, I guess there's a reason for it. It's just to demonstrate to the parents that their kids aren't totally useless sacks of meat, which I guess is still true for most of us, seeing as how <coughs> even our scholars and stuff aren't really that invested. In all honesty, even I'm not that invested. But the ceremonies are unnecessarily long in presenting this possibly, arguably, necessary information. I mean, I see the benefit of having these ceremonies that makes the students feel good for what they've done, and it recognizes people who have put work into it, but really doesn't have to be that showy. Keep the band, though. I really like those guys. Yep, yep, yep. Not biased or anything. Just, uh, band does great every single year. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now, that's just covering the admin side of these ceremonies. But there's also the student side of the ceremonies, too, which is that for some reason, we could never get ourselves excited about these things. So someone's always trying to sit down in the bleachers. Someone's always on their phone. And even us seniors walking in, uh, yes, um, single-file lines seem to be a far-off dream th these days, you know? I suppose that earlier counterpoint about students being uh, glad to have ceremonies is actually counter-countered by the fact that most students don't even care. Even the students being recognized like they're five seconds of fame and then go back to being sad sacks of meat who think the ceremony's taking too long and that they'd probably better get back to doing their work for first block or else they're going to fail and not be able to graduate, which is a very real problem. Unfortunately, this wraps up our... C-K-I-T-H-A-O-M-I segment 
Although, short update on the crickets, my house spiders have finally been doing their jobs, and I occasionally find cricket bodies strung up on the walls. Although, it's kind of an eyesore, but at the same time, they're keeping my sleep safe, so I tolerate their existence. Not, not the carcasses, though. I have to vacuum those out. Anyway, thank you for tuning in for week four of Kapuru Kisu. Now, I'll see you all next week. Have a nice night, Duak. And I'll see you all next week for whatever the heck I need to talk about for a grade again. As a quick aside before I wrap off, um, I just paused the recording to kill some random bug that flew into my room. So it was underneath my desk, so I threw one of my flip-flops at it, but it seems to have disappeared. Y'all ever have that experience where you're trying to kill a bug, and you throw something, or you slap it, and it just disappears into non-existence? Like, does anyone else ever get that? Because a few weeks previous, I did the same thing with a fly, where I flicked it, and I know I flicked it because I felt it on my finger, and I know it was enough to kill it, because that thing was already unconscious because I smacked it earlier. But it just disappeared. Like, I was supposed to feed it to my plants, but it, I, can't, I can't find it. So somewhere, somewhere, there's like a fly. Anyway, that was just mildly bothering me. Very day or Why?